Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. As we enter into the Word of God. But to kind of share my heart with you um, of the origin of where this message came from, it probably happened around two years ago. Um, the Lord, He speaks to me in words, He speaks to me in phrases and in pictures. And uh, in this particular instance, he spoke to me in, in a phrase. And um, a little window into what I was going through, I was going through a battle, as we all are either entering into one in the midst of or we're coming out from one. I was in a battle. And I was realizing what I was doing wasn't working. Like, I was, I was plateaued. I was not breaking through into the next phase of that battle. Um, I was just kind of stagnant. And I was realizing, shoot, I was doing it again. I'm leaning in my own understanding. I'm leaning in my own strength. I'm trying to do this myself. And I wasn't created to do things myself. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. And I have no direction without the Father. And so you can put up the, the title on the screen there. But I felt like the Lord spoke to me, Jesus, my battle cry. And I want to give you just a picture so that we understand every time we say that in today's message, the, the passion, the tone, the energy behind that. It's not just, Jesus, my battle cry, yes. Like that you just read it on a shirt and continue on with your day. No, this is, this is the desperate cry of your heart. This is those moments where every cell of you is so tired that you don't know the way out. And all you have is all you had long, all along, which is Jesus holding you together. But you're declaring, amen, you're declaring him as your battle cry. And you're saying enough is enough. You have won the victory. And now that I've given my life to you, you live in me, I live in you. Now I'm in the winner's circle. But I'm acting like I'm in the loser's circle, Right? because we can lean into our own understanding and our own strength and external things, and that is never how we were designed to live. And uh, I, I would go to this conference um, from the ages of 14 to 19. It was called The One Thing. It was, called, it was a prayer conference in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, I see Patricia knows. Um, it was an incredibly formative um, faith-building experience for me. It's super influential in my walk with God. And uh, every year I'd get fired up, I'd get um, empowered in my walk and my relationship with him. But one particular year, I, uh, okay, just to create the scene, there's 20,000 Christians, 20,000, and we're all in the same room, which is insane. This is a huge convention hall. And there's huge sections of thousands of people. Like, it's, it's unimaginable unless you can see it for yourself. But there's so many brothers and sisters in Christ going through so many different things. But we're coming together to worship God, to learn more about him, and be set, sent out again. And this is the three days leading up into the new year. And so as we're coming into the new year, the counter's on. It's late at night, right? We're getting excited. The new year's coming. Jesus, you led us through that year. We're excited for what you have next. And man, it's just electric in the room. Everyone's jumping and praising God. And there's like 18 conga lines of people just like, Jesus, just like dancing. And it's, it's amazing. And as we're winding down from that time and the confetti's like, 
slowly falling, and there's this like Selah, right? We just, we just praised our God. We just worshiped our Lord as a body. That's why I get excited for Sundays, because we get to come together and do that. And so we're exiting this convention hall, and there's only five escalators that head down. So we're all pretty close together as you're getting 20,000 people out of this building. And we're side by side, and there's just like this energy, right? You're just like, oh, yeah, this was awesome. Praise God. And one year, something just welled up in me. And could you turn off my mic for a second? And, and that's the tone. That's the tone behind Jesus, my battle cry. That we walk in, that we run in. When we're in the midst of the battle, it's what pours out from us because we realize that nothing else matters. Nothing else can help us stand in the midst of the battle but Jesus. So let's get into this because he wants us to live encouraged. He wants us to know that he's with us every step of the way. And we as a body together today, there's battles going on. And you might notice maybe throughout the sermon that, okay, I can see where maybe I wasn't using what God had given me to be victorious. I can see where maybe I wasn't depending on the Lord, but I was allowing the battle to be glorified than the victor. And I really feel like that's what God wants to do today is glorify the victor in the battle. Jesus, my battle cry. So let's break down what a battle cry is because it doesn't mean just crying in battle. It's what would pour out from people as they went into battle. It was meant to bring solidarity and to intimidate the enemy. And I was looking up, you know, different battle cries. I'm not going to do any for you today apart from Jesus, my battle cry. Because you'll know that all movements, all kingdoms, all empires that rose and had a cry, all of them have fallen. But Jesus remains. So he's our only hope. It's not our own strength. It's nothing that we can, we can do ourselves, create ourselves. It's Jesus. So a couple of those um, battle cries. The Confederates in the Civil War had something called the rebel cry that sounded like a coyote scream. Not very intimidating. I read it was pretty intimidating, but it doesn't sound that intimidating. Um, I also read the Greeks had one that sounded like, screech, like a screeching flock of birds. That's Kind of scary. If you ever seen that Alfred Hitchcock movie, Birds? The Romans had one that was most convincing. It sounded like a stampede of elephants in a roar. And what they would actually do is they would yell. They would do their battle cry into their shield. And so as they were coming into battle, it would start out low and it would grow and grow. And I can't imagine but hundreds of thousands of soldiers like coming up over a hill and they're all in unison and they're just like, you know, whatever they were yelling. Like, I can't imagine what that would feel like. But still, Jesus is greater. He's stronger. He's the victor. And there are so many times throughout scripture that didn't make any earthly sense how they won but it's because Jesus was their battle cry. We see David, right? How did he do that? How did he slay a giant? It's because Jesus was his battle cry. We see Gideon, 
who went up against the Midianites with a fraction, a small fraction, I think it's like 300 to 30,000, and they defeated themselves. It doesn't make sense up here, but it makes sense in our spirit, and he makes that come alive in our minds, right? So let's read some scripture. In Psalms 33, verses 16 through 17, oh, 16 through 33, it says, the best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to save you, to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord watches, sorry, watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. That was so encouraging. That fires me up. Man, it relieves me from looking in the external for my victory. What am I doing wrong? Why isn't this working out? Why am I so tired? Why am I frustrated? I, I want to... I want to see it. I want to grab hold of it. I want to change and manipulate this. And Jesus is like, lean into me. That's all you need. It's simple. It's a simple truth. And it erases all other reasonings and thoughts that you thought would be your victory. But Jesus is the only way. He's the only one. And he wants to be our battle cry. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So what comes out of you in battle? Who is your victory? and your hope of defending that victory. It's Jesus. If a battle cry's purpose is meant to express solidarity and intimidate the enemy, what possibly could unify us with other believers while also intimidate our enemy and our oppressor? Who holds the body of Christ together? But Christ. <laughs> Who intimidates our enemy than the one who already has the victory over him and defeated him? It's Jesus. Our hope, our declaration into, in, and out of a battle needs to be Jesus. He is the best battle cry for every season. Because we are in a battle, why else were we given the armor of God, were it not to be used. Sometimes we can enter into a battle or we can find ourselves stripped of our armor because we've allowed that to happen. And we wonder why we're still in it. We're naked in the spiritual because we haven't put on the armor that the Lord has given us to fight the battle. One of those pieces of armor is the helmet of salvation. It's not the helmet of worry. It's not the helmet of opinion or intelligence. It's the helmet of salvation. And who gave us that salvation but Christ? Another piece of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness, where the enemy comes and he tries to guilt or condemn or tell us that you will never amount to anything. You've lost the battle. He doesn't know anything. We can't have a breastplate of cowardice, but it's of righteousness. And it's meant to empower us 
in victory as we maintain, as we defend what is rightfully ours. Amen? So let's be aware of the armor of God that he has given us because we need to be wearing it. Every battle has three parts. There's the cause, there's the plan, and then there's the action. So the the cause in any battle that's ever been waged, whether the causes have been righteous or not, there was a reason the battle happened. To get land, to gain reputation, to win the heart of someone. There's a lot of battles that have happened, but there was a cause. There was a reason why we're here. Then there was a plan to execute the cause. So the cause was happening This is the cause. Now there needs to be a plan to execute that thing. And then once the plan is established, that's not enough still because there needs to be workers. There needs to be those that are going to execute the plan that upholds the cause. And we as as believers are in a battle, but we need to know what our cause is. We need to know what the plan is and the actions that execute both those things. So, we are shown these things throughout Scripture. Let's get better equipped as we read these Scriptures together so that we can live shouting the name of our cause who gives us the plan and the power to take action. Are we, are we tracking here? Beautiful, beautiful. So, let's go through the cause first. Why are we in a battle some people are like, what, we're in a battle? Like, yeah, we're definitely in a battle. And the, the, the vast, I wouldn't say the vast majority, but there's so many people that we rub shoulders with on a daily basis that are going through life because they think that's all there is. They think that they have anger issues because of anger in and of itself. They don't realize it's a spiritual warfare. It's not just what comes out in the external. They're being oppressed. But if they don't know the cause or the plan or the action, what's their hope in the battle? but Christ in us, Jesus, our battle cry. So we are in a battle. Why did the battle happen? Well, long story short, sin, but short story long, let's go into this. The fall in Genesis 3, verses 6 through 7, talks about when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Jesus specifically told them, don't eat from this tree, but you can eat from every other tree. And Satan comes along and through the power of suggestion warps and perverts God's word and was able to influence Eve and Adam to the point of disobeying God and bringing sin into the world. So this is the fallout from that. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Man. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Sin entered the world, but not just the world. It entered into the heart of man. And how many of you know we can't produce that which we aren't? An apple seed produces apple trees, watermelon seed produces watermelon seeds, and unfortunately, because Adam and Eve brought that sin into themselves, they could produce sin. There needed to be a redemption plan, and God already had that in mind. It would be his son to bring his children back, because we are his treasure. I love that so much. Jesus, the plan of redemption, 
We're still talking about the cause here. We're in a battle because of sin. So Jesus came because of that cause, and he fulfilled it. Acts 4, verses 11 through 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Jesus is our hope. He fulfilled what we never could, and he bought us back. And he wants none to perish. This is still a part of the cause. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Where else do we see this but in John 3.16 and 17? For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus, our battle cry. So long story short, what is our cause as believers? Well, we're in a battle because sin had come into the world, but Jesus freed us from the power of sin. Amen? But he doesn't want anyone to to perish, but all that have eternal life. So the cause is even greater because Jesus said, I didn't do anything unless I saw my father do it. And that was to bring heaven to earth. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's so important with our cause because it's not to bring our opinion on earth as it is in heaven. It's not to bring offense on earth as it is in heaven. It's not to build anything here that is lasting because nothing is except for the kingdom of God. That's meant to stir us. That's meant to give us purpose and meaning and that every part of us bow to that truth. It's funny, but in Toy Story 2, at the very end, there's this blooper reel, and Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head are like packing up, and she's like, and your angry eyes. She's getting him all these different things. And at one point, she gives him a piece of Play-Doh right, like dough, and she pushes it in the back of Mr. Potato Head, and his eyes start popping out, and his ears, and his mouth, and I think of that when I think of how the word of God needs to permeate us. We we shouldn't have a, a choice of what comes out from us, but God, but Christ in us. We are fragile clay jars that he's put himself in. We are new wineskins. We are a cup that he overflows. We cannot contain We're meant to pour out, be willing vessels for him to pour his cause out through us. Amen. All right. What's more um, is the plan, which is the Great Commission. The Bible already has a uh, a phrase for it. So the cause, we already went through. The plan is going to be what Jesus lived out perfectly. That's what we're meant to do. The example that he set is the one that we're meant to emulate and live into and be empowered by. So in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So what we see from that is the Great Commission, the plan to execute the cause, and it means to create disciples. Again, that every part of us would permeate and do what he did. He created disciples. So this is definitely a challenge. There's been seasons in my life where I've been better than others. But who are you discipling? Who are you sowing into for the kingdom and building up? And if you can't think of anyone to disciple, pray and ask God to send you someone to open your eyes because this is our call. This is our cause, and this is the plan that Jesus set in place. Don't just sit on everything that you've learned you need to make disciples according to what he commands. Again, not what we think, but what we lean into him for. In Mark 16, verses 15 through 16, it also talks about the Great Commission. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. This is showing us even more a part of God's plan. That in discipling, These are miracles that should accompany us. That we lay hands on the sick that they shall recover. That we are able to cast out demons in his name. That we see blind eyes being healed. That we see broken hearts being restored and mended. That we see the prodigals come back. This is the life that Jesus set for us. And this is the life we need to be a part of. That it's not about us. It's not about self-preservation. It's about kingdom come kingdom come. I was thinking this morning about how the disciples who walked with Jesus and spent such intimate time with him abandoned him. There's things that we are susceptible to, but we're meant to learn from those mistakes. Our security is not in our life, in our heartbeat, in our blood. It's in Christ, in Christ alone, because he created all of those things, and he is meant to be our battle cry. Now we get into the action. And the best way I can describe the action and why it's so important is through uh, a little illustration. Um, Earlier this year, we were able to go listen to John Maxwell teach. And for those of you that don't know who he is, he's known as a leader of leaders. He's written many, many books on leadership and um, instructs and gives advice to a lot of people. And he gave this little illustration. And it's that five frogs are on a log One decides to jump. How many frogs are on the log? And to give you the answer, it's five. Because that one frog that decided to jump, that's all he did was he decided to. That doesn't mean he actually jumped. So we have the cause, right? We understand what Christ is empowering us to do and the plan in which he wants to execute that cause. But that's not enough for just us to know about it, right? 
we need to be his hands and feet. Even if we decide to be his hands and feet, even if we decide to be a son and daughter of God, that is not enough. Because we need to allow him to pour through us. Now, I'm not talking about those instances where he asked you to pray for someone and you didn't. He redeems us of those things. We're children to him. He's a good father. He has so much insane, infinite grace for us and mercy, but he wants to grow us and mature us. Because I hope you're hearing my heart that it's not by any works that we do, when I'm talking about the action, it's not what we do that earns us a place in heavenly places. It's receiving Jesus as our battle cry, as our all in all. That's our only hope. So in knowing that and being empowered by Jesus, we are meant to live as he did. We're meant to do the things that he did and to not settle for less, to not settle in the midst of a battle, to not declare his name and start looking at the surrounding area of why maybe you're gonna, you're gonna fail this one or you're not gonna make it or this is just a battle you're gonna face the rest of your life because the Lord does a finished works in us. And I'm a firm believer that there's a last time that lie has to influence you. I'm a very firm believer of that because he set us free on the cross so whatever it is that torments you, oppresses you, torments your neighbor, or oppresses the cashier lady, that you're, you're hearing what they're going through, the answer is the same for everyone and in every circumstance. It's Jesus. Now to help what, what needs to make sense in the spirit come from the mind, that's discipleship, right? That's where that comes in because it's not enough for us to just regurgitate information. We need to walk people through it. We need to help them mature and lead them to the word of God while exalting Jesus as our battle cry. The second point as we wrap up today is I want to talk about solidarity. So we're going into battle. We're declaring Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life, everything that permeates from us. The effectiveness of of a team, of an army, is going to depend on the solidarity. I remember one time playing flag football. I'm not a football guy. This is probably one of the reasons. But I remember playing flag football, and the coach was like, hey, we're going to hey, watch this guy. Watch him, okay? And I'm like, okay, watch that guy. Got it. Well, I saw the ball over here. And my thought is, okay, that's great that he told me to watch this guy, but the ball's over here. I'm going to just take a little um, detour, and I'm going to get the guy with the ball. Well, the guy with the ball threw it. He threw the ball to the guy I was supposed to be guarding. Long story short, I didn't do what I was told. I wasn't playing as a part of the team. We as Christians, we need to stick together. We can't go off on detours of of, um, secondary issues. What needs to be grounded is that Christ is our everything, that there's no hope for us apart from him. He's the son of God. He's God. He lived, died, was buried, and rose again, and he's given us that that authority. But when it comes to secondary things, we need to go to the Holy Spirit with those things, and we can have healthy, constructive conversations, but if we are not emulating Christ in those, then we're losing. And I don't mean the battle because he's already won it, but we're losing influence and ground and productivity of how much farther we could be going because we're dragging our feet in this area and not letting that part of our heart bow down to the Lord, and it needs to. When we make Jesus our battle cry, we are evicting, evicting 
every other posing lie in our life we've been tempted to stand on. And we live on a life built on bedrock love. In, oh, sorry. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that's the love chapter. How many of you love that chapter? I love it because it's so loud with how we're supposed to live. Don't keep any record of longs. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. And then I'm like thinking about relationships in my life and I'm like, oh, there's envy there. Or man, I'm keeping track of that wrong. I'm like, okay, Lord, cleanse me. You're my battle cry. You're my hope. I'm not going to lean into my insecurities in these areas or fears. I'm leaning into you. Be so loud that you're the only one that comes out for me. Amen? So in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says three things will last forever, forever, all throughout eternity, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It starts with love. That's what's meant to permeate us and motivate us. I remember with different things that the Lord's given me to do, ideas, challenges, actions that he wants me to take. I, I've, I've before, and he still works with me on this, but I've, I've been intimidated by it. Like, oh, it's going to take this amount of time to do it. I want to do it so bad, but maybe it's time. Or maybe, oh, man, but that means I have to change these different things in my life. And I want to change my lifestyle to bow to the Lord. But the, the angst, the, the anxiety, the, the frustration with it is what I was exalting above the one who's given me victory. Because if he gives you the word to act, you have everything you need in that word. And his name is everything that we need. And so he was showing me, I was like, Lord, what motivated you to do everything that you ever did? And it was love. God is love. Jesus is God. Jesus, love. That's all he could give out was love. So we can see righteous things that he did where we'd be like, oh, I don't know if I would have said it like that because that wasn't very pleasing to the ear for everyone to hear. No, he spoke everything in love. And he had such a relationship with the Father, he didn't do anything unless he saw the Father do it. And I think a lot of problems that we can face as the Christian body is we can have righteous convictions, but if we have not let the Lord tell us when to share those or mature those, we can find ourselves taking detours and not living in solidarity with other Christians. Because everything we do is meant to bow to the Father. It's meant to be motivated in love. So even if you have a strong belief of something that the Lord has called you to do or something very obvious that you see in scripture and you're challenging someone else with that, there's a way to do it in love. And then there's also a way to not do it in love. Let's just make sure we're doing it in love. Amen? Because he's given us the ability to live in love in everything that we do. In John 15, verses 12 through 13, it says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. I remember hearing one of my favorite teachers, his name is Bill Johnson, and he talked about um, how the Lord will often, um, what's the word, if my wife were here? Danielle? No, she's not. Um, she will offend, I got it. She, he will offend the mind to get to the heart. You know, when you hear verses in the Bible that talk about the last shall be first and the first shall be last, that offends the mind. What? I'm meant to be the servant, not the one that's slowly growing up in this company or status or relationship. No, you're meant to be a servant. That's the example Christ set. He 
washed his disciples' feet moments before losing his, gaining life for us, dying on the cross for our sins. In your last moments on earth, what are you thinking of doing? Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples. Let us be love and do love in everything that we do, the same way that he loved us. The second verse, sorry, I only read verse 12, but verse 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. How can you be a better friend? How can you love those in your life better? Making Jesus your battle cry is the answer. How do I break through? I feel like me and this individual, we always just get to right there and then it just stops. I'm thinking about giving up. Don't give up. Just make Jesus the foundation you're standing on. Don't think in your own mind, in your own strength, that you're going to be able to make it work. I've, I've, Adrian Dykstra, I've, I've done so many things in my own strength, and I just come up so short. Then when I lean into the strength of my father, and he floods my weaknesses with his strength, he floods my strength with more strength, and I'm a victor because I leaned into the one who had the victory. In Ephesians 4.3, it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort, everything that you can do to bind yourselves together with peace and stay united in the spirit. I was getting this picture last night of, you know, someone binding their wounds. And I was just imagining, you know, different times in my life where maybe I had a wound, I had a hurt, but instead of binding it with a piece of God, binding it with Jesus and what he did for me on the cross, I was binding it with my own reasoning of why the the wound was even there. And you know what happens when you bind wounds with offense and unforgiveness and more hurt? That thing festers. And it becomes an area of incredible irritation in your life. But the answer, the one who came to heal all wounds, spiritual, physical, is Jesus. So if you hear that and you think of different wounds you might have in your own life, bind that with peace. Bind that with Jesus. That is a fruit of the Spirit. Bind up your neighbors with peace. Bind up your neighbors with Jesus because that's exactly what they need. We're going through these different verses because we're learning about how to take action. They're all action calls. They're not just meant to be read. I, I, that verse is so convicting in the Bible. It talks about don't, don't read the word and forget what you see, like how a man looks in the mirror and forget what he looks like. We don't want to leave on a Sunday and be like, I didn't get anything. I understand you might get one thing, maybe two. That's ambitious. Maybe three. That's crazy. But if you get one thing, that's what the Spirit's bringing out in your life, and you're accountable to that. I don't know what it's been so far. But there is so much meat here in the word of God to give us steps we need to take. And everyone needs to grow. And everyone needs to mature in relationship with the Father. Let's keep going. We have two more verses here. Philippians 3.20. But we are citizens of heaven. Yeah, for the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. You know why I love that verse so much? That I'm a citizen of heaven? It means that I'm not a citizen of earth. And again, that's relieving to me because I've tried so hard to be pleasing to man. I've tried so hard before to build up something here, something of worth. Like, what can I look like? What can I feel like? What can I? And God's like, my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven 
that's any man's hope. It's not in you and your cleverness. It's not in you and what you can give. It's me in you. And you know what? He's wired you so intimately and perfectly that each of us brings something new. Each of us, combined with the Father, combined with Jesus, he made you specifically to be you in him. And that's where we flourish. That's where we grow. Not trying to be like the other person. We can hold people to such a degree that we want to copy them. That's not what influential or leaders are meant to be. We're supposed to make disciples, amen? Amen. And this is, um, I'm gonna read the next verse because it's so awesome. John 15, verse 18 through 19. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. How freeing. How freeing. That frees me. Some people, that's like, gosh, so I'm not going to be pleasing to all men at all times. It's like, no, you're not. And you don't want to be. You really don't. You, don't. you don't want that because the Lord called you to be set apart. Jesus was set apart. Me and my brother were just talking recently about how attractive Jesus was and his charisma and who he was, that he was able to draw in sinners and teach them perfect truth with perfect love. And we were talking about how there can be truth without love, but there cannot be love without truth. The truth of scripture is infallible. No matter what, that is true. But is it possible to share the right thing at the wrong time? Yes. Building relationship is so important. Binding wounds with his peace and, let's see, keeping the unity of the spirit, right? These things are so important. And again, it's like the five frogs on the log. We can decide, man, these are great things to do, but we need to do them. We need to act on them, not alone, but in making Jesus your battle cry because he's our only hope to execute these things. I want to, uh, I want to pray for everyone here because I know that there's, there's different scripture that we talked about. There's a lot of different things, but I I really want you to take the one thing that jumped out to you and I want you to hold it before the throne and ask the Father's help and declaring in your heart, you can even do it out loud, but Jesus is your battle cry for that area. It could be an area that you need to grow in in relationships and loving other people better. It can be, man, I haven't really been taking the cause of Christ seriously in my life and I wanna do that better. I want everything that I do be set apart in him that I'd be building his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm just gonna pray, but if everyone could just just go into a place, you don't have to bow your head, but if that's what helps you focus, just come into a place before the Father right now. And I wanna bring you into a secret place. I want you to imagine yourself on a platform that's white and it's suspended in space. So there's nothing for miles and and galaxies far except for the stars and the planets. And you're standing on this white platform in the middle of the universe and you see the Father walk out onto the platform with you. And it's just you and him. And he's talking to you today. He was speaking to your heart throughout this message. He was speaking to you this morning when you felt that fresh, crisp fall air. He made that fall air. He made your hands that open doors. 
He made your feet to take you places. This is your dad, and you're his daughter. You're his son, and he's calling you to a life of complete abandon. And whatever it is that he brought up into your heart, I want you to put that before him and say, Lord, you know, maybe I wasn't making you my battle cry in this area of my life. And I want you to be my everything in this area. I don't want to do things in my own strength because that gets me nowhere or my own understanding. But I want to, I want to do this with you. You are my all in all. And I just want you to just take the next 20-ish seconds, just spend time with you and the Father. I just want you to see him in your mind's eye. He loves you so much. stay in that place, but for those of you who have not made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, who've not committed to the one who gave you victory over everything, who does an eternal transformative work inside of you, who made you in your mother's womb and wants to spend every moment with you, if you have not made him the Lord and Savior of your life, and you want to do that today, if you would raise your hand We want to pray for you, pray with you. Okay, we're going to pray for those online. If that was you, if you've listened to this message and you want to make Jesus your battle cry, just place your hand on your heart and just follow me in prayer. Jesus, I can't do this alone. I've seen what you've done for me. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I make you my king, the Lord of my life. I reject the past and look forward to what lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If that was you, praise God.